Hey everybody, my name is Adam Gavea, and I have been the person who has been recording the episodes for College Conversations. I do want to preface this episode off by, first of all, introducing myself uh, and letting you guys know that this isn't my typical formula for an episode. Most of the time I just sit down and start recording a conversation that I'm having with a friend or two or a five. Uh, but this episode includes people who are really not my friends that I just got to meet at a conference, which is called NOTA. NOTA stands for the National Orientation Directors Association. They're a whole bunch of orientation leaders and student directors and uh, professional staff uh, who are working in the area of higher education, specifically orientation, transition, and retention programs, come together and just talk about the problems they're having and the successes that they're having. This conversation that I'm uploading today is a conversation with black, indigenous, and people of color, uh, specifically leaders who are making themselves well-known in the field of orientation, transition, and retention. This is never meant to be a political uh, podcast, but I can see how this one could be viewed as that. Just be aware that they're going to be touching on some racy topics, and um, it might be not your cup of tea, but I think this is super important to hear, so I'm going to upload it. Hope you guys have a wonderful day and enjoy the episode of the podcast. And then finally landed at a four-year. Um, and again, like many students, I was told by my guidance counselor, you should probably get a cosmetology degree because you're not really that smart. Um, and we just want to make sure that you can provide for yourself and not be a burden on the state. Okay, so I have three master's degrees and a doctorate. Uh, and I will tell you, my doctorate was for me. It was not for anyone else. It was not for a job. It was, right. I wanted that challenge and I wanted to do it. Um, and I was, I think I was telling you, yes. oh no, I think I was morning. telling someone, when I walked across stage to get my doctorate, I had to walk all the way around the chapel to get back to where I was. And by the time I got back to my seat, I was in full-blown tears. Every black or brown family that I walked by looked at me with such pride. And I was just so grateful that I could give that to them, that I could show them that this was possible. Um, and later that day, my family and I were at Gloria's. We were having margaritas, having a good time. And there was another young woman who was sitting with her family next to us. And she had graduated from the same institution that day. And they were just like, oh my gosh, you got your master's degree. We love you. We're so proud. And I just walked over to her and I took off my little stole and I put it on her. I said, now you need to earn this. And I just walked away. And she was like, <laughs> you know, and it was one of those things that if you see it, you can do it. Yes, um, I'm a first generation. Uh, you know, who's here first generation? Put your hand. Yo. <laughs> um, parents were both uh, uh, immigrants from Mexico. You know, um, parents finished middle school education. And uh, my father uh, happily retired, but he, um, he, he, he was a janitor. And then he became a, a person who fixed, you know, um, apartment complexes. He would take me with him. And I learned how to mop, sweep, wash toilets at 11, 12 years old. And he would tell me, do you want to do this for the rest of your life? And I'm like, I'm too lazy to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I'd rather be in an office. I'd rather be in air conditioning. I'd rather be talking to people. You know, and um, I am so grateful for the hard work that he put in, for the hard work that my mother put in, you know, that allowed me to go to school and, you know, um, continue to get an education, get a bachelor's degree, and then continue to my master's degree. You know, because... He's not done yet, by the way. Oh, no. I'm, um, I used to work for a nonprofit called um, Educational Talent Search under the TRIO program, also working with um, low-income first-generation students. And um, then I went to television, because my undergrad is in uh, radio television. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I found myself wanting to be back with the college students, right? And uh, I, I heard that the director of Talent Search was retiring. She was going to another college. You know, in, in El Paso, you retire from Texas, you go to New Mexico and get a new check. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she did. Smart. Educators, that's what, how you teach, right? But uh, so I went back and I told my former uh, mentor, I want to apply for this director job. And he flat out told me, Dr. Gary Edens told me, you don't even have a master's. People with doctorates are applying for this job. 
the next day I enroll for my master's program. Nobody's ever gonna tell me what I can and cannot do, okay? Two years, and it still took me three years after my program to get interviewed and yes, thank you, but no thank you, thank you, but no thank you. And then I landed my dream job working at orientation at El Paso Community College. You know, and I work with great students, but it's such an honor, you guys, like that you were saying, to be from where I come from, you know, where you're not expected to be much, you know, and now I'm leading week after week students that have the potential. And one thing I learned the hard way, to ask for help, to challenge. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I cannot go, I cannot study abroad because, you know, I'm not white, or I don't have money, or I don't have the grades. Go ask, knock on that door. Well, I can never work there because I'm not an engineering major, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. Go ask, knock on that door. You know, I was always that person who was a little timid. Orientation, I joined orientation. And I started, you know, getting on my bubble. I joined the theater, started getting way more on my bubble. <laughs> you know, um, but the biggest thing to me was, all they can say is no. Yeah. All they can say is no, right? Hmm. So I knocked on doors, after doors. You apply to a job, few days, you call that HR department. You call that department trying to hire you. You bug, you bug, and you bug until you get an answer. And you know what, you don't apply to one job, you apply to two jobs, you apply to three jobs. As an undergrad, I had three jobs. I worked at the mall, at the <laughs> Disney store. It didn't work at the mall, right? right. I was an orientation leader, I was a TA, and then I was a janitor. After the big football games at the, the big college, Sunday mornings, I was there cleaning, that, cleaning that, uh, that stadium. And I had a bachelor's degree, and I was cleaning the stadium, you know? because I needed to pay for that master's degree. So my, my point here, you guys, is that just because the way you look or just because where you come from, El Paso is a very diverse city, but with a, still a small mentality, small town mentality, even though we're a city of almost a million people, you know, um, we're still thinking like if we were in the 80s, if we were in the 70s, and we have to challenge that, that quota, right? We have to challenge that mentality. One of the things that I was taught when I came uh, to EPCC is, um, well, let me backtrack a little. We started the program. The program belonged to one of the departments. They wanted it so to be run by students for students. They told us, you need to change the culture. Change the mentality of the people in El Paso. Change the mentality of our community college. We offer the same courses that university does. We have the same teachers that university does. If you don't have a scholarship to go to the university in my town, you go to community college and you get a quality education. Get an associate's and then transfer. Now you have two degrees, an associate, then you're gonna go get a bachelor's degree. You know, whatever reason happens, you already have a degree, you know, you have a paper that said, I have these, these uh, classes and you are worth something. Your education is not just a handful of credits, okay? So you remember that, doctor? My biggest thing for y'all, and we're gonna ask y'all some questions yes. so that you can share with mm -hmm. us. Um, no is not something any of us wants to hear, but it's something that I hear all the time. But for me, no doesn't mean that it ends. It just means I need to find another way. If there is something that I am passionate about, if there's something that I feel called to or that I want, I make that happen. Um, and all anyone can say is no. Um, I teach a doctoral course at Dallas Baptist University, and it was like an amazing two days. We meet online, but we meet face-to-face face -face two days a semester, and I spent Wednesday and Thursday of this week with two young black female doctoral students. Y'all, it was life-changing for me. I walked away with two brand new mentees, which is my total jam, like I love mentoring and coaching. But more so, they saw me, y'all. I had someone who wasn't even in my class. She was like, who are you? Why have I never seen you on campus? And all I'm thinking is, wow, she's in my space. Like, she's in clothes. <laughs> but she was excited. And so I wanted to share, come on in, in that excitement with her. I wanted to share that. So as y'all think about struggles that you might have on campus, simply because you are BIPOC, Give me an example. Like being the first generation, like both native-born Americans and being being told by the whole family, oh, you're going to be the first person to like get a get a degree in our whole family. That's like no pressure at all. Mm -hmm. like, Anyone else have pressure like that? Mm -hmm. 
anyone create that own pressure for themselves unknowingly. Yeah. What do you do with that? What do you do with that pressure or that expectation that just like weighs on them? Sure. Oh, we're good. I told my parents like, I'm still gonna get a degree. It's gonna, it's probably not gonna take like the four years because I wanna do it right, but I'm still gonna get a degree in the end. So, and they were happy with that. What's your name again? Raul. Raul, and I can totally relate. I was, I was you in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all are older than everybody in here. I, I know um, I'm cute, so. <laughs> there you go. But my mother was the biggest, you know, push. And she valued education. She just didn't know how I was getting it. But she just thought, like, college is just high school. You know, you did it in four years. Why are you taking five? Why you that, that's what my parents said. Exactly. And then I turned around because my dad never got his his high school diploma. And now after going to school, I was like, you're getting your high school diploma. So I'm paying for his GED now. Oh, oh. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Bring him with you. Congrats on that. Full circle. Mm -hmm. You want to ask one of the yes. questions? Yes. So um, as OLs, have any of you felt that you, you are unseen in your own team? Or that, you know, uh, you're not, yes. I kind of do. Um, Within like my orientation team, there's a, a lot, it's predominantly white. So it's kind of hard when it's like, I only see a few other people who look like me. And I feel like that's something that needs to change. It, it, it's that's something that always bugs me. Cause it's like, I, if I can't see myself, then how are other students supposed to see themselves? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so for me, it was kind of different. Uh, I'm an international Mexican student, so to be honest, for me, it was a very challenging experience to just go to study to the U.S. Because of course, what I've seen of the image that the American people may have about Mexican students might not be the best. So to be honest, I was totally afraid of going to an American school. So, well, I was surprised that I went to a Latino community, so most of uh, the OLs kind of look like me, even though they do not have the same background, because I come from Mexico, so I'm an international student, it's completely different, but I feel related to them. And for me, that's been crucial in my experience, because of course, uh, I feel like that empowering me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I kind of enjoy it, but I don't know how that would be if it was a different environment. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things I want y'all to think about is it totally okay to be with someone who is like you, who looks like you? Like, I love black people, like, straight up. Do I hang out with other people? Absolutely. But I know what it, what it is to be the only. And I know what it is to literally crave to just be to someone who's like you. I have a student that lives with me. She used to be my orientation leader, and now she's my daughter. I wish somebody would tell me she wasn't. Um, but she's from Honduras, and she is in her internship, which is actually her first job as an engineer. And so they were planning a happy hour, and she goes, oh, you know, I have studies, I have this, I have that. And I said, just go for an hour. I said, you're new at the company, you need to be seen, you need to participate, but just go. I'm hoping she'll have a good time. When I got home, she was at the front door waiting for me. She was like, oh my gosh, let me tell you what happened. And I made this bracelet for me, and this from Manfredo, who's her boyfriend, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was with the sisters, and I mean, y'all, she was glowing. She was at a table of Latinas, all of them. Three of them were from her, from her home country. And although we love her, and she is ours, and we treat her as such, there is nothing that can substitute being with your people. And your people don't necessarily have to be your people, it's whoever you consider your people to be. But she gained strength and excitement and energy and she was just ready to go because her bucket had been filled by people who looked and understood her for herself. So going off that, who has made that jump? Who has tried that, you know, maybe that uncomfortable situation that you think you're gonna put yourself into and it was something completely different? Raul, and then. So we have a thing that's called lead camp. 
And the background's like, I went to pretty much an all-white high school. So like, most of the time, even in my AP class, like only like Hispanic, Latino, nothing. And I went to the camp thing and oh, so, so. Kind of iffy. Yeah, and then I just found like a group of all other first gen uh, Mexicanos who are also first gen native born and first gen college students. Nice. And then. That's your group right there? Yeah, right group, group, group right there. And we all just talked. We were all like going in and out between English and Spanish for the whole time. Spanglish, right? See. See. Yes, in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so my question was directed to you. I I only talk to brown people. Um, I, I don't know. I just never felt comfortable talking to somebody who did not look like me. So um, when I applied to the OR job, and then I met a, a lot of different people, a lot of a lot of people from different unique backgrounds. I feel like I connected with them, even though they didn't exactly look like me. You made that jump. Anybody else? Very nice. Um, and y'all, I have to say, UTA is a big institution. I mean, we have roughly 50,000 on campus and another 20,000 online. Um, but one of the things that we're excited about is our current orientation team, which is what, 30? It's 32. Huh? Somewhere between 32 and 34. <laughs> um, and we have seven countries represented on our team. Um, that means that there's lots of people who are going to come to this institution and see what they look like. And the shocking thing is, when we were looking at our team and kind of looking at who was where, what made, and we try to balance, because we have 10 colleges, so we're trying to get students from every college so that they have a representative. Um, but lo and behold, we had no white boys. Not a one. <laughs> Not one white boy. Like, at all. And they're like, oh, well, we need to go back to the drawing board. And I'm like, you're mean, why? Um, but, but that's actually not the best attitude to have because it's the same attitude that the majority could have of why do we need someone brown on our team? Um, and interesting, do we have any? I don't think we found any. Oh, Austin, we have one. Yeah. We have Austin. I'm sorry. Dr. Magruder. Nathan. 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 Nathan's a tall white boy. There's two kids. Okay. There's two. I have to tell you that they have all been together longer. I just like jumped on board last weekend when we went to our retreat. Like I see them coming in the office and saying hi, but I forgot to say I forgot about them. So let me ask you guys. Yeah, um, we have some stories that. Oh, what's your name? Asta. Asta. It, it took you that one jump to become a Noel, and you, you, you opened up and because you found your people. Noels are everybody's people. Who here, as a Noel, still feels the need to teach others who you are? It's okay. Over there in the back, what's your name? Oh, I know your chair. Too late. Oh, so somebody in the back, raise their hands. I know. What's your name? My name is Nick. Um, for me, it's weird because I come from a very blended background. So I am a white and Vietnamese, but I grew up in a predominantly black household. So like that kind of like being raised up in that culture is very different, unique, especially me kind of like it being impossible to find that little res of representation. So like I don't feel like enough like in the white box, the Vietnamese box, like the mixed box. It's really weird. So for orientation, it's been really intentional about like with my students, like saying like, hey, you don't need like put yourself in a box. But, like find representation like where you can. Right. They need that permission a lot of times, y'all. I know it sounds really weird, but sometimes students just need permission to be themselves. They need permission to step outside of the box. Because as you think about it, y'all, you were 18, most of you, when you went to college. You've never, most, and I'm being very general. I know everyone's story's different. But like, you grew up in this household with these ideas, with these thoughts, with these values. And then you come to college, and everyone has a different thought or opinion or value or whatever it happens to be. And so when you come, students a lot of times struggle with their own identity and just figuring out who they are as an individual versus who they are because they lived or were raised by these people. You know, kids come to school and they are staunch Republicans because that's what their parents are. And again, but then they hear like an independent or a democratic thought and they're like, hmm. I think I kind of like that side over there. I think I'm gonna kind of step over here. But you have students who have become Democrats 
but won't say anything to their families about it because they're afraid they won't be accepted. But when you come to college is when you become your own. You learn what you like and what you don't like, not what your parents gave you or not what they put on the table or not the clothes that they buy. You find out who you are as an individual when there's no one telling you to go to bed. There's no one to tell you you shouldn't turn it up on Wednesday night because you have an exam on Friday. <laughs> you have to take that responsibility for yourself. But know that all of those things that you're working and thinking and dealing with, in case you didn't know, you're a BIPOC on top of that. So that just complicates everything. Why? I have no idea. But it does. And so I encourage you not to act or believe or try to convince yourself that everything is fine. It's not, it's not fine. It's not okay, but we're working to make it that way. And in my opinion, you all have the most important job on campus, literally. Students are coming to our institutions and they're looking at y'all. And like Burton Dett said, if you don't welcome them, who will? If someone doesn't see your hair and think, wow, his hair looks really cool. My hair could do that, but my parents always made me keep it really short. Or I was natural before I had locks. And so it's kind of like, you know, is my employer going to give me a hard time about my true authentic self? Um, I wish somebody would. But that's just Nancy. That's my personality and that's my opinion. But I think about Jennifer, who is very quiet and very meek, but don't be fooled. Again, one end and the other, yet we still experience the same things. Those hurts, those rejections, those Passovers, those slights, those microaggressions, that professor you know doesn't like you for any reason at all other than you're brown, it's not okay. But we have to build that community amongst our BIPOCs and let them know that we can be your tribe too, that we can be that support, that we can be that encouragement, and that we can be that example for one another. Because if we're not, then who else are we looking to, y'all? Each one of you has an amazing responsibility. And I really hope you understand the enormity of it. You know, it's like, you've got this guy who comes in, he's kind of dragging, he doesn't want to be there, he's got a little bit of an attitude, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And he's like, really, lady? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Really, again, not everyone's like that, not everyone responds, but each one of you in your own unique way, like they told you earlier, will not have one, but you will have more hero moments this summer that you can even begin to think about. Recognize how important you are on your institution, not just for representation, but for changing the culture of a school that was not built for any person in this room unless you're at an HBCU, and I didn't think we had any here. We're fitting in to what was already created, and that's uncomfortable. But once we're in, y'all, that's when we get to move around a little bit. That's when I can say, I'm not okay with that. I need y'all to change that playlist, because I don't hear anything from anyone who wasn't white. Oh, well, we, I'm just letting you know, I'm here now on this team, so I need some diversity in my playlist, absolutely. Matter of fact, why don't you just let the students make the playlist? Oh, imagine that. <laughs> you all bring something that we as professionals cannot. And I encourage you to step into your power as an orientation leader. And I do use the word power. Um, in our team, we talk about the power of the polo, that the moment that you put it on, it gains you a level of respect, a level of trust, and kind of a celebrity, if you will. How many of y'all have students who have come to you after orientation and been like, oh my gosh, blah, 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 blah. Or they'll see you somewhere and they're like, I don't know where I'm going, can you show me where my class is? Um, I've been that girl. I've been on campus and been like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. And yes, I do remember, even though it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> being like, I don't wanna go to London by myself. I don't wanna walk into this class by myself. But then I saw someone who looked like me, and I was like, can I walk with you? They're like, okay, you can come. Uh, and again, some people are okay with it, and some people are not. My last thing, or my next to last thing is, please know, when you're talking to professionals, 
just because they look like you does not mean they have to help you. I know that is a very weird thing to hear as a student, but sometimes people just don't have the capacity. I mean, I have literally had a black woman literally shut me down as I reached out for one of my first positions to the point where like, when I hung up, I was sobbing. And I just thought, and, and y'all, this was like four years ago. And I just couldn't fathom that this woman that I knew from my class would literally be like, yeah, I can't really help you. I don't know what to tell you. And I, how do you process that? That someone who looks like you and who can make your life better just flat out won't. But that's why I do what I do. That's why I have a steady stream of students that walk through my office every single day. That's why I have a student that lives with me. Because I make myself available to those because I never had anyone. And so I look at it like this. You could be that one for them. You could be that one person that keeps them from leaving the institution. You could be that one person that helps them find their niche. You could be the one person that they're watching and someone is always watching y'all. Not to like catch you doing anything, but because you have fans that you don't even know about. They see you, they see your position, they see your confidence, they see your knowledge. How many of you became an orientation leader because your orientation leader or your orientation experience was good? How many became an orientation leader because your experience was really shitty? How many of you just needed a job? <laughs> Y'all, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. If, you're, if you're an international student, you know y'all can't work anywhere else on campus. You know, so let's make the best of it. Go ahead. When I tell, um, I don't pass community college. Like I said, we're about to turn seven years old in September. Every year we have, I call it a season, like a TV show, right? We're in season six, right, Alex? Season six. And uh, we went from all else being thought of as work studies, here, going on copies, you know, you're going to set up the computer, to now my OLs teaching the course, running financial aid, running all these uh, presentations, being the guide to other students. You know, and what she said is very true. We, at my college, do not sell our polos at the bookstore. They're not bought out of Walmart or you know, Target or whatever. The local university, you can find them, you can find UT, Texas Tech. You don't find my polo. So when you wear my polo outside, people go up to you and ask you, hey, I'm interested in this program. You're pumping gas, people come to you. you know? And my OLs can tell you that. You, know, you have now a responsibility as an OL to be that guide to new students. And me being from the, this background of you know, being a low-income student, being first-gen, I didn't know about all the resources my institution had for me. Me at EPCC, at a community college, you would think, well, it's community college. What can they do for me? We have a variety of programs that you can take advantage of. You can go to my school for free if you know how to ask, if you know how to search. You know, there's tutoring 24-7. Some of my OLs didn't even know that. You know, there's, there's resources left and right. It's your job to teach the students to be successful. Your goal, number one goal, is for them to enroll for that second semester. Making sure they're in trouble that first semester, it's okay to fail a class. It's okay to maybe drop a class, you know? We're still gonna be there for your next semester. Your financial aid will be okay. We're gonna be there to help you. There's people to help you, um, help you out with that. But your number one goal is to make sure that they continue and know how to ask for help. Look for those resources. So they're gonna go to your office. Because they might remember something about financial aid, but I'm going to go to financial orientation, they're going to tell me. Because they're going to go to you before they go up to me, old guy with a, with a tie, no. They're going to go to somebody young like you, who looks hip, who knows the lingo, who has a TikTok account. I don't. I have it because my, my students made me open one. Okay? But they're going to go to you first before they go to me. Okay? I'm there. My door is open for everyone. But they're going to go to you first. Remember that. You are going to change lives, guys. This summer, you're going to change a lot of lives. You might not know it, but somebody's going to come to you. Because it's happened probably to you, doctor. Probably to him. Probably, I mean, it's happened to me a couple of times. 
Years will pass. Hey, I remember when you helped me out. Thank you so much. I told my sister about this. You know, now, remember, it's not you just helping the students. It's helping the ones after them. Little brothers and sisters, cousins, neighbors, you know, friends. You know, so you're helping a lot of people. Our job is to teach you the right way to teach. I mean, the right way to, uh, um, the right resources. You guys are supposed to go out there and teach the rest. Y'all ask us some questions. Something that you want to know. Anything's open. Or share a situation that you want help with. You don't have to be too detailed. Raul, how about the time whenever, like, like especially, like, you've been told, oh, you don't act Hispanic, or like, you don't act you don't from Hispanic. You don't, I hate those, I hate those questions. Like, what does that even mean? I, it's like, I don't know, I still don't really know how to, like, respond to those situations. It's like, yeah, you don't need to. Yeah. Um, last weekend, we were on a retreat. We take our team on a three-day retreat so that we can laugh and cry and grow together. Um, and you would think, I'm going to cry on a retreat. Trust me, y'all. They want a dry eye in the house. And we are intentional in the activities that we do with you or with them so that we build that intimacy, so we build that empathy. So that when it's July and you're sick of looking at that person next to you and they do one thing and you are ready to just go off, you remember this person has A, B, C, D, or whatever. But one of the things we did was write six-word memoirs about race. And so it's, a memoir is just you know a chunk of someone's life and a story. But there is an old wives' tale, tale that Ernest Hemingway was challenged to write a story in six words, hence six-word memoirs. And so we wrote six-word memoirs about race. And mine was too black or not black enough. And that has been my entire life. I will tell y'all, I wear pearls. I love twin set. I love patent leather. I listen to 80s music. I mean, and I had so many friends. You look like a white girl. You dress like a white girl. You look like a white girl. I've been said, like, I've been... So I've been told I dress like a white boy. So like, and then some people say you dress you dress too Mexican. I've actually never heard that, and I don't know what that looks like. What are the other? Right. So like pearls and a twin set are not black. Last time I checked, I thought I was professional. But I say this to you to say that I had to learn to be comfortable with Nancy. I had to be okay wearing pearls and a twin set. I had to be okay with my patent leather, and I had to be okay with whatever I was doing for me. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it's hard sometimes. I still get that too black or not black enough from my white colleagues and from some of my black colleagues, but I don't own any of it from any of them. Like Vincent said, I show up as my true authentic self every single day, Amen. and it is hard y'all it is hard there are, mm, there are days that I get home and you are the only reason that I come back the next day because I look at leadership or I look at things that happened or policies or procedures and all I can think is what if I'm not there for them who else is going to do it who else brown is going to come and be what these students need to be and that might just be an example. It might be a voice of reason. It might be a shoulder to cry on. It might be a place to have dinner. Um, my first team has dinner at my house once a month because I know they're all college students and I know they're all hungry. And I live with my mom and yep, my husband, my student, my mom and I all live together. And my mom is a good old fashioned black woman, like scratch gravy, pot roast, fried chicken. Like she cooks every single day except for Friday and Saturday. But she also knows how important my team is to me. And so she invites them in and we love on them and fill them up and then send them back out into the ugly world to just try and make it the best that they can. And then they come back to me and you know, four weeks limping and bruised and we patch them up and we send them back out again. And it really is just repetitive. Sure. I just want to encourage everyone to take our space and own who you are. Come on. Um, I know we didn't ask for this, but we are going to be ambassadors for the rest of our lives, representing who we are, ourselves predominantly, and then our ethnic background 
secondary because we've all had unique experiences and you know to like anime or to like a certain genre of music and people think that's outside of the box but it's uniquely you and so for you for you it's your story and you live it every day but for someone else whether they're your color or a different color this is their first time experiencing that so don't get tired of representing yourself well because it's not just because it's your honor, it's your crown. Who you are is beautiful. Come on and now. And it's worth sharing in a beautiful way. Preach, girl, preach. But um, I, wish, I wish this conversation was happening in a room people of people who haven't experienced this. This is where people who don't know what my experience and what your experience has been like, but we're all here and you're preaching to the choir. This has right. been my experience. But the people out there, they don't know that some of the issues. I've been in a job interview, so my mentor, she asked me, um, she recommended a certain hairstyle for me to go to my job interview. And I said, you know, and I was confused. She didn't tell anyone else what hairstyle to wear and why was it my hair such an issue for an interview. But understanding, hey, if I want to work in this environment, and if I want to get in, then these are their, these are their standards. So I'm like, hey, I want the job. But once I'm in there, it's to make an impact, to take up space in that room. So Absolutely. I just, yeah, we are, we are ambassadors of ourselves. But please know, y'all are not powerless. Yeah. As orientation leaders, one of the things that we sell when we are recruiting students is you have access to people you would not normally have access to. Our team will have um, lunch with our Vice President of Student Affairs. Why? Because she needs to know who our team is because they're representing her. Our institution just got a new president who is starting. So who do they call because they need student leaders? They call us and they know we have the best of the best. And when you are on your institution, please understand clearly, you decide what happens at your institution. You do. So if you stay quiet and you say nothing, then it's your fault. And no, you don't want the weight of the world on your shoulders, but I don't know if you understand. Collectively, y'all are unmatched in power. If you come to your board and you say, we want X, they have to do it. The student body makes that decision. Get involved. You can complain as much as you want, but get involved and complain. I'm on our strategic planning committee and we're looking at the strategic plan. And one of our vice presidents was like, well, we didn't get any feedback from anybody, too bad. We're just gonna move forward and we're just gonna keep going. I'm like, there are 200 people in the Division of Student Affairs and 34 of them responded to this strategic plan, but we're just gonna keep going. He's like, well, we sent it out and no one did anything. So now here's where I take up space. What about so-and-so who just started here six months ago and this is her first professional position? How does she even know what strategic planning is, let alone how to comment or give feedback? Every department on our campus is short-staffed, yet you think I have time to answer this two and a half hour survey on a strategic plan that at this point in time does not impact me in any way, shape, or form? Okay then. What about that person who literally doesn't even care? But more so than anything, 80% of the people in our student division are brand new. Yet you have the majority saying, well, we sent this out and nobody responded. Mm -mm. This is where I take up space. And this is where I look at my vice president in his face and I say, that's not okay. That's called exclusion. How about we work on inclusion? And they're like, oh, well, I said, you know what? I'll even do it, y'all. I'll do the workshop. I'll write the workshop. And they're like, oh, well, we'll think about it. Well, mm-mm. I took our strategic plan and dumped it into a PowerPoint. It wasn't pretty. But I put it in there. I included activities that we could do with people and all of these other things, and I sent it off. Guess what, y'all? We're not moving forward with our strategic plan anymore. We are now scheduling information sessions for all of our new staff so we can walk them through that plan. We are gonna to start to have ownership of this plan. And even more so, this plan literally says nothing about diversity, equity, inclusion, or belonging. 
And y'all thought we were just gonna keep moving forward with this? Absolutely not. But the point is this, if you make noise, be prepared to back it up. Don't just come in and say, this sucks, you don't have this, you don't have that, and you know, you kick a hole in the speaker and walk out. It doesn't work like that. No EPMD fans? Y'all are so <laughs> But I cannot tell you how proud I have been this week to have taken up space in that room and to be on a team, Zoom, I don't know, some kind of virtual call. Did you hear that? Cool. I'm from Rhode Island. I could talk like this the entire time if I wanted to because this is what my normal accent sounds like. But I work very hard not to sound like that. <laughs> it comes out once in a while and I'm excited. But I was on a call with our associate and assistant vice president and then one of our directors and little old assistant director Nancy. But guess who ran that meeting? I did. And not because I'm Billy Badass, but because I took up space because I knew me taking up space would have a ripple effect for my students. I know, that's right. Yes, girl. <laughs> I challenge y'all to be involved in what happens on your campus. Find out when your next strategic planning committee meeting is. Participate in your student government. Be part of your ambassadors. Look for ways for your voice to be heard. And if they don't make space for your voice, then make it yourself. Everybody's got someone that they can come with to make a little bit of noise. But if you sit and do nothing, then it's gonna be exactly the same for the people who come behind you. And that's your responsibility. Sorry, not like you asked for it, but it is what you have. And so if you want it to be different, then do something about it. Mic drop. <laughs> I know, Now, like another 30 minutes, right? We have 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Let me ask you all. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. Right now, we know uh, we have some issues, you know. Um, what's your name again? I'm sorry. Maddie. Maddie. You know, um, Maddie? Mm -hmm. oh. Maddie getting, uh, getting seen, getting her out of college. Let me ask you all. <laughs> do you have a place, uh, like for example, here at EPCC, well, here at EPCC. <laughs> at EPCC, there's two programs, diversity and inclusion and uh, campus life. They say they promote diversity and inclusion. They say they do programming, but they send that email and expect everyone to read it at 3.45 p.m. So they have these great presentations, these uh, great presenters online, very little participation. But the college says, oh, we have a resource for you. It's not the best, but it's there. They're trying to get better. They're the ones who gives us something called safe zone training. You know, working with LGBTQ plus community. I've been begging for that training for the last year. Can't give it to me yet because there's no, no, no staff. But we're trying, and I keep bugging them, and I keep bugging them, and I keep bugging them. Now, I let me ask. I will volunteer our person to come out and spend some time with your students if you want. You know, that's why she's my mentor now. <laughs> let me ask you, do you have a place or resources in your campus that you can reach out to for such help? And if so, have you done it? Yes. I went to the University of Houston, and whoop, whoop. it being the second most diverse um, school, I think, in America. Um, but one thing that UH does that isn't the best is that they take the diversity that we have and kind of just say we have it, and they don't really do anything about it. We, so mm -hmm. we have our Center for Diversity and Inclusion, and I work in the Center for Student Involvement because I'm on our special programming board. So we work closely with that um, group, and they hold all these events, but no one goes. And they say like how they do it, like we have like again diversity is just our poster word. If you see anything about University of Houston, it's diversity, diverse, diversity. Yeah. But we can't just you can't just have the students and do nothing with it. So even though we do have this like Center for Diversity and Inclusion, I feel like I don't truly know if it's gonna if it really is like a safe space because even the people that work within it aren't really like the most approachable or like the friendliest. So there's like it's a layered issue there, but like I can kinda like Anyone else hopefully have a better experience at your college? 
This side of the room, maybe? Over here? Oh, yes. Sorry, if you want to go to that side. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I, right now, it's, uh, we're giving him a chance, right? Okay. I'd like to stand up. And go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, oh, yeah, talk to us. I, I just feel more confident when I stand up and speak. So okay. I, go to, I go to um, West Texas A&M University, and something that we do is that the orientation consultants, and I'm one of the two, um, we plan with the Office of um, Diversity and Inclusion to have a section or a portion of NSO where we go into diversity and inclusion. For us, it's called Welcome to the Herd. And so basically, we want uh, the students, new students at that session to understand their own identity and make sure that they feel that they're not alone in whatever they're going through. And so we have a bunch of questions, um, reflection time, things like that. And it's so cool just because at the end of that, we tell them all the resources they can go to, whether that's uh, counseling or that office for diversity and inclusion, which includes um, like the Hispanic Student Association, it includes the Black Student Union, um, Spectrum, which is our LGBTQ plus um, organization, and just so much more that they can just go to. And so that's an experience that we have on campus um, to promote that um, inclusion and diversity. Okay. That sounds great. Yes. Yeah. Um, kind of like back, piggybacking off of that, at Texas A&M, we do the same thing. We're like at our new student conferences, like we let um, diversity services come and talk to the new students. But I think a big point on that is like whenever you're talking to new students, I feel like it's almost easier to talk to them because they're just trying to retain as much information as possible. But something that we've done in our training is bringing it to like the existing students, you know, because I feel like that's almost harder is to reach those people that have already like had their thoughts who might not have gotten that at their like new student conference and like bringing that into their thoughts and ideologies that like are already pre-existing from like being on campus. And so like during our trainings um, for the OLs, like we like bring in different workshops for like diversity, equity, inclusion and to like challenge them and like keep them more aware so then they can like tell that to the new students. So it's like a whole cycle as opposed to just like only giving it to the new students. Are you in commerce? Oh no, call station. Okay. Somebody else raised their hand back here. No. He's like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for us, I wish we had a little bit more. For well, of course, we have like diversity, but not specifically like first gen, um, or Latin American. We do have like one advisor who is Latin American, and he helps pretty much. He's kind of been unofficially been titled as the person that all. He just got put in there. Yeah, put him in there. So we kind of want to get more of like specifically like Latino American. His um, make on um, more of that type of like cultivate more of that specifically instead of just like bring that experience yeah, to yeah. your institution yeah. we do we want to bring yeah. new experiences to our institution and we do that by hiring new and diverse people mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out how to say that too yeah um, here's one thing to think about y'all I know after George Floyd was murdered even prior to that talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, race, gender, whatever it was, I did not have the vocabulary. I felt very angry because I had all these things I wanted to say, but I didn't have the appropriate vocabulary. And it, I used to teach elementary school back in the day, and it reminds me of my black boys a lot of times they would be frustrated about something but didn't have the verbal whatever to explain it and so they would get angry and i'm like y'all that's what's wrong right there is that we're not teaching students how to speak about what's wrong and i will tell you it's been a hard journey for me and i was embarrassed because i'm black and how do i not know how to have this conversation how do I not know how to say, like, your little nasty microaggressions got me two steps off you? Um, I can't say that, but I can say, the microaggressions that I'm feeling are making me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. If you cannot communicate in a way that you are understood, it will fall on deaf ears. And do I have all the vocabulary I need? Absolutely not. I don't. I'm still reading. I'm still learning. I'm still listening to podcasts. I'm still just trying to soak it all in and trying to figure out where it is that I fit in all of this noise. Um, but if you don't know how to say it, then find someone who can help you learn to explain. You did this and it made me feel this way. This is a pattern of your behavior and it's not okay. I was in a meeting with someone who is very much my senior, who works with international students, 
and he made a nasty comment about international students. And I just looked at him and said, it's not okay for you to say that out loud anymore. You could have heard a pin drop, y'all. And I just sat there. He goes, oh, well, I was just, I said, doesn't matter if you're kidding. You can't say that out loud anymore. That meeting ended very quickly after that because everyone was uncomfortable that I had called them to the mat. But how uncomfortable was I? I have a team of international students and not a one of them is lazy. Not a one of them is trying to cheat or get over on anything. So how dare you say that about my students? And how dare I if I didn't have anything to say? And I really did not know what to say. It literally came out. You can't say that out loud anymore. And guess what? He hasn't said a word like that around me ever again. And so you may not change your thought process and you may not change what you say, but I can guarantee you, you won't say it in my presence nor around my students because they also know. If you are in a situation and someone is X, I need you to let me know. And if I find out and you didn't tell me, it's your tale too. Yeah, I, I'm just not kidding. <clears throat> um, I just want to encourage everybody to uh, be proud of who you are. You know, a lot of times I try to live my life intentionally to speak to other people who look like me because a lot of times in passing, it's easy to think that, um, you know, they, they already assume that we're going to be the same or um, it's what's understood don't need to be explained. But my experience is this, we, we've all felt what it's like to be the only person in an environment or that one person. So I always make a point to make eye contact with somebody. Like even, even throughout this um, conference, you know, whether they be black or brown, me personally, I think anybody with Head brown not. skin is my family, you know, and not to say that I don't love other people because we're gonna leave from here. I did this last year and we had a small group in the Zoom and we were all saying the same things. But it's different now because we all in person. So I just want y'all to know, like don't feel uncomfortable when we go out here, you know, still be proud of who you are. You know, we're not excluding anybody. And a lot of times we feel shame for like saying what's up to somebody that looked like us. You know what I mean? And other people do it all the time. You know what I mean? It's usually more of them, so it's not like looked at. So just don't be afraid to, to you know what I mean, bother with somebody that look like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said. Again, that head nod from across the room, yeah. or that like, hey, I see you. Mm -hmm. Like, what's up? I got you. Like, I get it. Um, sometimes it's like, <laughs> I'm like, Mom, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, okay, then, you got two now. Look at you. <laughs> Be excited when you see someone who looks like you, who smells like, and I don't literally mean smell. <laughs> I meant like, who, who eats the same food that you do, or who, whatever. Um, Y'all, 